Hi, my name is Marcus Atkinson. I'm the executive director of Serve Erie. I'm here at the newly branded Erie High School. Now, I'm sure many of you have seen this school in the news quite a bit lately. Uh, unfortunately, we had a fire not too long ago, even leading up to this point. There's been a lot of debate and controversy over uh, unfair funding and uh, things of this nature. A lot of concerns. One of the things that's frustrated me over the years, and in this last year in particular, is that much of this has been beyond our control. Well, today we have an offer that is completely within our control. And that's to come and join us when we come to this school, July 20th through the 23rd, to do some renovation work on the school, to give the students a type of quality learning environment that all of our children deserve. Now, at this Erie High School project, I know many of you have a heart to serve, but you don't necessarily know what to do. We want to solve that problem for you. If you can come on out and sign up, we anticipate over 2,000 people here to join this effort. And when you come and join, we will give you specific projects based upon your skill level. You don't have to have specific skills. You don't have to be a painter, a plumber, things of this nature. I know many people think that you need that, but you don't. You just need a heart to serve and a willing spirit. If you have that, then there's tons of skilled and unskilled labor that you can get involved with. Here's our opportunity to show our children that we care and come together as a community to make a tangible difference in the lives of these children. Won't you join us? at the New Erie High School, July 20th through the 23rd with Serve Erie, so that we can give them the quality learning environment that they deserve. Well, welcome to Erie First today. I'm so glad that you decided to join us, and we are so glad you came. And this week, we transformed this platform to your back porch. How do you feel about that? Or maybe the back porch you wish you had. I know some of you wives are going to go home and say, build that for me. <laughs> So we're really excited. And why we did this is because for the next several weeks, we are going to be talking about ways that we can reach our community. In fact, we named this series Rescue because we realize there are so many needs in our community. There are so many things. And we are built, we're created to give ourselves away and to be part of that rescue. And so this is a creative reminder to you that we are not to just stay in this building that this few hours every Sunday is just part of what God is calling each of us to do. And we are a church that wants to impact our community. We don't just want to stay here. We want the, the gospel to be go forward on every back porch and all of this whole community. And so this is going to be a reminder to you. And I want to tell you just a few things. I want to remind you that we are doing the summer cookouts coming up in three locations. And the idea is to bring a friend, introduce them to your friends, show them some of the things that, that God is doing in our church. And so those are in three neighborhoods and there's invitations at every exit. So take one, take three, challenge yourself, take five and get them in the hands of some friends and family. Invite them to come and join you at those summer cookouts. Um, also, next week, uh, we're going to have the blood drive right here in the gym. So come prepared, eat some breakfast, and um, come prepared to give uh, blood that will stay right here in this area. This is just part of our um, wanting to, to provide a need that people have to provide the rescue in a lot of situations. And so uh, we always want to 
not stay comfortable. We want to do things that stretch us. And so we also have the opportunity to be part of this great project here in our community called Serve Erie that you just saw the video of. And uh, that happens at the end of July. And so I wanted to invite someone up here that you guys all know well. Would you welcome Linda Straub to come up with me? Uh, Linda has been part of Servieri for a while, and so I wanted her to talk to you a little bit about the way it's impacted her life and the way that God's worked in her life through it. So, Linda, just tell us a little bit about how you got involved in Servieri and how it's been significant for you. Okay. All right. Hello, church. Um, well, actually, I originally thought that I was going to be doing missions um, in Africa or somewhere other than here, which was a problem for someone who doesn't really care to travel. Uh, so I had this reoccurring dream over my uh, young adult and uh, adulthood that I'm, I saw myself holding a baby and there was a tent where uh, a large group of African-Americans were worshiping the Lord all in the same t-shirts. And my husband, Bert, was with me and he was serving um, food, and he was under a different tent, and I would just have these glimpses of this dream, um, and it would come and go, and I thought, okay, Lord, well, when it's time for you to make this clear for me, um, I'm not going to jump on a plane and go somewhere until I know where I'm supposed to be. So we were very involved in Extreme Home Makeover, which is funny that my time hop today, if anyone's on my Facebook, came up eight years ago today that we were serving with Extreme Makeover for Claire Ward. At the end of that amazing and exhausting week, we had a block party uh, for everyone in the neighborhood because we not only did her house, but we did the, the block either direction, all the landscaping. And so we had this block party and um, I had met a family during the makeover. She, she had maybe four or five kids and I said, let me hold your baby so that you can go and, and eat. And Bert was under the, the tent serving. Pastor Derek happened to get a picture, I think Jason has this, of um, me holding the baby. And at this moment, I look over my husband, tears are rolling down my face as I look under the tent from an inner city church in all blue shirts with their hands raised, worshiping. And I knew that I was supposed to be here in the city of Erie. So from all the uh, volunteers uh, from Extreme Makeover, we had hundreds of volunteers that still wanted to be involved, and the event was over. And from there, Sir Viri was birthed, and I knew at that point that, that that's where I wanted to be involved. I had to be a part of that. Awesome. Yeah, give God praise for that. So just one more question, Linda. Um, what would you say to our friends here about getting involved in Servieri? How can they do it, and why should they do it? Hmm. Why should you do it? Um, I feel like it's making an impact. Every ministry um, takes time, and uh, I'll just tell you two quick short stories. Um, one of the ways I saw an impact is we started, well, our heart just stayed at 21st and Reed where we did uh, Extreme Home Makeover. So every Servieri, we would go back to 21st and Reed, and we worked in that area for years. And there was a barber shop on the corner, which is Marcus's uh, uncle. And um, 
we we just did like two blocks and we'd help them take pride in their in their uh, their yards and their homes and they introduce them to each other. Some of these people live right next door and they never met each other. And um, there were the first couple times we were there, um, the barber, it was a great place to peek in the window because you had all these guys solving all the world's problems at the barber shop. And we'd say, do you want us to, to do anything with your landscaping? No, I'm good. No, I'm good. We respected that. After about two years, the barber came out and said, you know, I thought you guys were going to come from the big church on the hill, check off your boxes serving and be gone. And you kept coming back. And he actually paid to take everybody for ice cream. And that was just an amazing thing that it joined all the neighbors and the volunteers together. And it was a beautiful thing to see. And the second thing, when we were working on Clara's windows in her house, um, I had gotten a couple calls from some people in the neighborhood that that a gang had moved in. Well, what it was was the five of a kind bike group it was just a group of, of older gentlemen that had bought a clubhouse at the end of the street. Some of the neighbors were a little worried about this. They were concerned about the bikes. And, and so there started to be some tension in the neighborhood. Well, we were actually kind of helping them with their front of their building make it look nicer in the neighborhood. I was at Clara's working on her windows. I called my husband. I said, we need to, we need to do something. Clara's windows need fixed. We don't have the manpower here to do it. You've got all those guys down there. Let's put these two together. Claire was not real sure that she was going to like this idea because there was some tension in the neighborhood over this. But these guys walked in, and we, we lowered the tension. We introduced them to each other, broke the ice. These guys serve for her every Christmas, loading Christmas bags. And it came full circle in the relationships that are built in this when my mom passed away, not one tear did I shed because I had a peace beyond my understanding, but this group of biker guys with their chains and their vests walked into my mom's funeral. And it, I can't even express how I felt that we had bridged the gap with these people on 21st and Reed. And so stories like that, there's tons of them. People out here, there's many people in the audience that serve. It's a short commitment You don't have to do anything except show up. You can get a shirt. They'll tell you what to do. And it's it's a a couple, three hours of serving. They'll bus you there. They'll bus you back. You can bring your little bit older of kids. Um, It's just a great way to serve, and it is impacting our city. Thank you, Linda. I love Bert and Linda's thinking, we need help. Let's call the gang. Let's just call them up. They'll help us. So God is so faithful to us. He, he hears our cry. And um, today, I want to invite a very special guest to come share with us. This is Marcus Atkinson. And as he comes, would you give him a warm welcome? <clears throat> he is uh, going to share with us a little bit more about um, what the Word says about reaching out to um, our community and, and other people. And also, he is the... Director of Serviri, mm-hmm. is that the correct? Yeah. And Executive so he's going to director. tell you more about that as well, Executive Director. And so I'm so excited. I was so excited to introduce him to all of you because I'm just so proud to call you guys my church family. And I was very excited for him to share his genuine, just authentic <clears throat> passion for what God has given him. So thank you, Marcus. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. 
you know, after that uh, interview by Linda, I want to sign up for Servere myself. <laughs> Somebody put my name on the dotted line. A little interesting trivia fact about that, uh, my Uncle Bill, who owns that barbershop, it's on the corner of 21st and Reed. My grandfather, it's his older brother, my grandfather's name is Reed. It's one of the reasons why he was attracted to that location when he was a fledgling barber. So um, that's a lot like the residents that we're serving right now. A little bit about myself real quick. My name is Marcus Atkinson. Um, some of you may recognize me. I know I had a lady tell me, you look like the guy on WQLN. Well, that's because I'm the guy on WQLN. You sound like the guy on WQLN, that's because I'm the guy on WQLN. Some of you know me from that, some of you know me from Grace Church. Welcome and greetings from Grace Church, by the way, I'm a member of their, member of their pastoral team, on top of being the executive director of Serve Erie. Very, very proud of that. Um, you know, the song that they played earlier, I give myself away. I'm sitting in the front, front pew and I'm crying and well, I can barely make it through that song. That was the theme when I first gave my life to Christ. And every time I hear it, it breaks me down to, to less than nothing. I go back to that time when I was literally broken and couldn't get off the canvas. And when God saved me from myself, when I accepted this offer of grace, it, it changed me forever. But that song just reminds me of how vital it is for you to try to extend that love and that grace to other people that Christ extended to us. Amen? Does it, does it for me every time. Serve Erie. So... I want to talk a little bit about the evolution of Servere. Many of you understand she did a wonderful job breaking down the, the genesis, if you will, of Servere. And over time, Servere has been evolving because the needs of people are ever-changing. The world is ever-changing. And so as time goes on, you want to keep pace with that. Servere Saturdays has always been and continues to be the foundation of Servere. It's the area in which God has enabled us as an organization to uh, make a name for ourselves, make a name for Christ in the community. It's the vehicle that God has given us to express this love physically for mankind. And that's gone on for several years. Where we are right now, Servere has a three-pronged attack on all of the ills of society right now. Number one, obviously, is that Servere Saturday. Over time, it gave way to our second prong, our school initiative. Show of hands if you were involved with the Lincoln Project at all in here. Very good. The Lincoln Project was, you know, it was really simple. You see things going on in society, and I pointed this out in the video a little bit. You get very frustrated with what you see. And as people of faith, the thing I've always come to appreciate is growing up, obviously my, my grandparents were very big followers and fans of Dr. King. And uh, my, my grandfather would always say that Dr. King was the greatest man that ever lived in a physical sense. And um, the fact that Christians of their day went after social injustices in such an aggressive way in the name of Christ had a profound effect, not just on my family, but on society in general. History tells you as much. So from a survey standpoint, we looked at what was going on in the schools and we thought, why can't we do something? For this love of Christ, for this love of neighbor, why can't we do something about this? The school initiative was born, <clears throat> and we went into Lincoln Elementary and did renovation work there. That continues, and as you saw in the video, this year we'll take on uh, Erie High School, the former Central Tech, twice the size of Lincoln, and much more at stake, but we'll go into that a little bit later on. The third prong that Serve Erie's embarked upon, our new officers on the corner of 3rd and Parade, 231, parade to be exact. And 
the adopted neighborhood concept that Linda touched on a little bit, we have taken that to a different level. In the Lower East Side, from East 6th to 12th, Wayne to Holland, we have adopted that area for the purpose of neighborhood revitalization and bringing the light of Christ to a very dark situation. If you kind of think about that area in your mind, it's an area that you've probably seen on the news quite often, homicides, high poverty rate, joblessness. It's a lot of suffering going on in that area, and there's a lot of building going on in the downtown area. But this area in particular, we thought was kind of the forgotten, if you will, that people in this area were underserved. And so we prayed about it, uh, Pastor Derek, myself, Aaron Lundberg. Uh, we went to L.A. and studied the Dream Center a little bit. And as we kept praying and kept praying, this area kept being laid upon our hearts. So the third prong of this three-prong approach of Servere is the neighborhood work that we will do over there. And we've already started doing that. So if you see some of these things, obviously you can go to Servere.com. You can go to Facebook to our Servere page and follow us. If you see some of these things, if you're inclined to get involved, please do that. But with Servere being a faith-based organization, this evolution makes sense. It makes sense for you to continually find more and more needs and continually look for ways to fill those needs because of the love that they have for Christ, because of their love for God. This is where it gets confusing, though. When I meet people of faith and they lament the issues in society and, oh, this is just so difficult to watch and, and life is so hard and people are killing one another, there's starvation, and we as Christ followers, we want to see people do better. We'd actually like to see more people come to Christ, and it's a very moving plea that you'll hear at times. And I'm always struck with the question of, wow, that's great. So how do you physically express that? How do you become a part of the solution with Christ's help? And it's so disappointing at times when you hear, I don't really do anything. You don't volunteer? Not really. You don't evangelize in some of these situations? Not really. That confuses me. I sit and I listen to this song and it brings tears to my eyes because I am so overwhelmingly grateful that this God gave his only begotten son, and he gave this gift to me personally. And whatever I could possibly do to express that, whoever will give me 10 seconds to listen about the greatness of this Christ, I am giving it up. When you meet people who have not taken that step to actively move on that faith, it confuses me. Not only me, but it confuses people in general. It begs the question, if your love for or belief in, and faith in our city is so strong, in your God is so strong, how come it doesn't spur you to action? I want to get introspective this morning. I Listen, this is Keep It Real 101. Let's be honest with ourselves, because I find that when it comes to our faith walk, for myself, I have to call it like I see it when I'm praying to God, when I'm allowing God to deal with me and help me work through my stuff, and my outlook on life. So I'm asking all of us to be introspective on this conversation. We've got a key scripture today that much of this thing will be based upon. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. If you want to take any devices out, Bibles, or what have you this morning, we're going to go through that scripture in just a second. But James wrestled with this in the early days of the church, and it was on a much larger scope because he was talking about the fact that you can profess faith in many things, science, city, marriages, but our key passage talks about the faith, faith in our Savior, Christ Jesus. Where are we at with that? 
If you go through the book of James, you'll discover that James tells these Jewish believers about the importance of not just obeying the word, but doing and having works that match up with that faith that you profess. He tells them that if you think you're wise, the best way to show it is by living a godly life. He's writing to a new church filled with believers, new believers that are struggling to figure this thing out. So James wants to help them out a bit. I want to read this account and analyze it just a bit so that we can kind of see what's going on here. If you have that, again, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if people claim to have faith but have no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, almost an either-or thing. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for he did for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? So you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that day that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see, the people are justified by what they do and not by faith alone. In that same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So the word faith, the Bible uses the word faith 247 times. With 245 of these being in the New Testament, the Greek word pistis is used for faith. And depending on the concordance or lexicon you use, it can mean persuasion, trust, confidence, assurance, or belief. Now put your human hats on for a second. People believe, trust, or have confidence in education. I'm married to a teacher. I understand this well. But when people have belief, confidence, and faith, and trust in education, that normally manifests itself by way of them maybe setting up scholarship funds if they have the revenue to do so. Uh, sending their children to private education, sending their children to college. Some kids, uh, their, their parents haven't gone to college. For other households, it's kind of a prerequisite. This is what we do because we believe in education. When, believe, when people believe, trust, or have confidence in a particular charity, they normally give or volunteer. My Aunt Johnny Mae Atkinson was a huge, huge fan of the work of the United Way. She gave thousands of dollars before she died to the United Way. She served on the board of the United Way. She, she served at all of the different charitable events that they had that she possibly could. She believed in it. She trusted it. It spurred action. Even a con artist will try to get you to trust and believe in some bogus opportunity in the hope that if you do believe, if you do trust for that brief moment, that it will spur some sort of action and get you to part with your resources or your time. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. People make the connection often that where there is belief, where there is trust, where there is faith, there is action. Faith in something or someone 
almost always, if not always, leads to that. Now, some of you are thinking, is it not enough just to believe? Verse 19 says you believe uh, that there's one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's a pretty challenging scripture by James, pushing us to think about the fact that perhaps belief unto itself is not enough. James also uses Rahab as an example. And if you remember that count, she does a couple of things when these Israelite spies were sent to her. First, she professes faith in their God. If you remember that scripture, it's one of my favorites, actually. She professes faith in their God. She also talks about how the rest of the city was trembling in fear because they understood the power of this God of the Israelites. The difference was Rahab acted on that faith. She meets an immediate need, giving them shelter, hiding on her rooftop. She could have been murdered for that, but she took that step and acted on her faith. Her example shows us that true faith makes you act and it makes you do things. It makes you produce work. So let's apply this thought process to uh, our Lord and Savior, the WWJD test. What would Jesus do? Remember these little wristbands and T-shirts that was kind of cute. What would Jesus do? When Jesus walked the earth, Jesus professed faith in his Father. And there's a passage in Luke that kind of helps us appreciate this a little bit more. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. I love this account. I want to read this for a minute. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately, Immediately, the leprosy left him. Now, if you're familiar with this dreaded disease of biblical days, leprosy normally led to banishment, made a social outcast out of a person. It's a very contagious disease. And if you can just imagine yourself and put yourselves in the minds of or in the, in the shoes of someone who suffered from this disease, they're exiled to an island. They don't have the benefit of being involved on an everyday level with people. Jesus reached out and he touched this man. Some people missed the entire point of that. But think about this. Just this morning, just this morning, how many times have you either been touched or touched someone just this morning? I mean, this morning we were encouraged. You turn around and say hi to somebody. Shake a hand. You know, maybe 10, 15, 20 times you've been touched this morning or touched someone else. 50 or 60 of you are the touchy-feely types, and some of you are. This man lacked that everyday necessity. He hadn't been touched for God knows how long. I want you to consider something when you think about the ramifications of what Jesus did for this man. It says extensive research by the University of Miami's Touch Research Institute has revealed that human touch has wide-ranging physical and emotional benefits for people of all ages. In the Institute's experiments, touch lessened pain improved pulmonary function, increased growth in infants, lowered blood glucose, and improved immune function. Human touch is important of all ages. Isn't that something? And for how long did this man go without this? Christ could have done like he did with the Roman general, come to my home and heal my servant. Christ said, go to your house, your faith has made him well. He called Lazarus out of the tomb. This man He took that extra step, and he touched him. 
profound. To me, in a modern day sense, this man symbolizes the exiles of society. I think about this leper, and I think about people like homeless people, people from third world countries, people from ostracized groups. Where do we stand with people like this? Do our hearts go out to them in love? Does our faith spur us to want to do something about some of these things in love? Verse 14 of our key passage today posed the question, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? It challenges us. Christ set, Christ set this example. Now, some of you are still scratching your heads and saying, listen, pastor, isn't it all about just believing in Jesus? Isn't it John 3, 16? Is that what all this boils down to? James is going after something much, much deeper here, something much more profound James 2 clearly says that a man justified by works is justified by works and not by faith alone. This brings us to our big idea. If you know anything about Grace Church, we always have a big idea with our sermons. The big idea is that spiritual growth requires faith in action. Spiritual growth requires faith in action because we've given our lives to Christ if you're at that place. Now we're talking about spiritual growth. What does that look like? And I submit to you that in order to truly grow, faith in action is a big part of that. I'm going to give you four different benefits of faith in action today. If you're taking notes, you might want to follow along with it. Four different things. The first thing I want to submit to you is it helps you monitor your spiritual pulse as it pertains to your love of God and neighbor. Helps you monitor your spiritual pulse, spiritual pulse. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. I love this scripture when it breaks down these two never-changing laws. Love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Two laws. So think about any committed relationship. The first clue that things are going south or becoming stale is that when they're no longer, there's no longer an outward showing of that love. If you're in a marriage, you panic when these special things stop happening. You stop considering the other person. You stop doing the things that you did to entice this person to the altar in the first place. That's when you know that things are kind of off kilter. One of my favorite books is by a writer named Stephen Covey, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Powerful Lessons in Personal Change. I don't know if any of you have ever read it before, but it is a book that is rooted in some very, very strong spiritual principles. I want to read an excerpt where he talks about love to uh, a gentleman, and they kind of exchange back and forth. He <clears throat> says, my wife and I just don't have, this is a guy speaking to him about the waning love in their household. He said, my wife and I just don't have the same feelings for each other we used to have. I guess I just don't love her anymore, and she doesn't love me. What can I do? He says, the feeling isn't there anymore. So we asked him, so you're saying the feeling isn't there anymore? That's right, he reaffirmed, and we have three children. We're really concerned about it. What do you suggest? And his reply was, love her. The guy says, I told you the feeling just isn't there anymore. Again, Stephen Covey says, love her. God says, you don't understand. The feeling of love just isn't there. This guy isn't listening to me, he's thinking. Covey shoots back. 
then love her. If the feeling isn't there, that's an excellent reason to love her. And finally, the guy says, but how do you love when you don't love? Covey says, my friend, love is a verb. Love, the feeling, is a fruit of love, the verb. So love her, serve her, sacrifice, listen to her, empathize, appreciate, affirm her. Are you willing to do that? Very, very deep advice. Very deep advice. So the John 3.16 scripture that we reference, is it enough to just believe? Well, if you think about that scripture, for God loved the world so much that he gave, see the action? He gave his only begotten son. If you think about the way Ephesians 5.25 is, is worded when it comes to Christ himself. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. See the action? Verse 21 of our key passage today was not Abraham our father justified by works when he was willing to offer up his son Isaac on the altar. His willingness to act on his faith is what the scripture is pointing out. This connection of faith and love, I read something very profound. I can't take credit for it, but every time I read it, it just strikes me deeper and deeper. It says, God is love. Therefore, faith in God is faith in love, which is God's spirit. Since true love is revealed in Jesus, who sacrificed his life to free us, who were unfaithful to him and sinned against him from sin, true faith is to believe in this type of love. We would therefore be merciful, as Matthew 9, 13 points out, compassionate and forgiving, like Luke 6, 37. Humble, gentle, self-controlled, patient, generous, faithful, kind, and pure of heart, like Galatians 5, 24 through 26. And in addition, we would do good acts, not because the law requires them, or because we're afraid of punishment, or because we want a reward for that matter, but because we love God. Isn't that an interesting connection between love and faith. You can check your spiritual pulse and analyze it by how outwardly focused that faith is. If the faith isn't being put on display in some way, shape, or form via these works, it may be something to be conscious of. It may be a matter of prayer that we might want to think about. The second thing faith in action does, it allows God to mold us in the process of doing. I love this concept. It allows us to mold God, the mold us in the process of doing. Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. If you think about a pottery master's wheel, the clay is in constant motion. If you look at the, love this clip, if you look at, um, Anyone work in this medium? I mean, something that I've always, when I do see it, it's very impressive. But as you notice, the clay is on the wheel, and it's in constant motion. And the artist just kind of guides and directs that clay as it's in motion. I often think to myself, the trick is the motion. If the wheel suddenly sat still, what would happen? Could the process even be completed successfully? Probably not. As you are thinking about this and looking at that, I want you to think about the way that God shapes and molds us in this manner. Like the scripture pointed out, we're in his hand on that wheel. But it's the motion 
we have to keep moving. For you academics, I want you to think about this. Students in a medical class, for example, very, very difficult major. Child goes, a young, young person goes to study medicine. There's a great deal of learning in the beginning. These young men and women are studying uh, the, the instructor with bated breath. And they take home a ton of work. But as the maturation process sets in, the act of doing is introduced. It's the doing that allows the teacher to mold you into a master surgeon, into a master doctor. You can't go into med school, I don't want to do the touchy stuff, let's just do the book stuff. The instruct whether you can go ahead and leave right now. Sooner or later we have to get to the touchy stuff. You can't work with a patient without going through the touchy stuff. There's no such thing. Football for you athletic fans. Clemson, national champs, took down Alabama. You can't get to this unless you first did this. This is where we make you into an elite athlete. This is where we, we turn you into a pro, if you will. It's the process of doing. When the coach can stop the play and say, wait, 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 okay, listen, did you see what you just did? People in their minds have it made up that you know, when this big test comes, I'm going to rely on Christ. He'll get me through. Well, not if you haven't been on the battlefield practicing every day. On the battlefield is where he shows you who he is. On the battlefield is where he helps you understand your weaknesses. He helps you to understand how to rely on him. He helps you understand how he works. And unless you take the time to come onto the battlefield, he will simply watch until you're ready to embark on the act of doing. It's the execution. There's where God meets us at. So if there's faith without doing, you never even receive an opportunity to be molded by God. Christ himself was bound by the entire principle of doing. If you think about this, this is really deep. It wasn't enough for Christ to just say, I want to go down and be the sacrifice. The father looks at Christ and says, son, there's a lot of doing tied into that decision. You can't just say you'll do it. You're being born from the virgin and then living as one of them for 30 years until your ministry starts. You start your ministry, the horrific death. There's a lot of doing involved in this decision. You sure you want to do that? If Christ was bound to the act of doing in order to live out his faith, how would we ever expect to dodge that entire path ourselves? Reflect on what we read earlier. Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. The doing. The third thing faith in action does, it helps prepare the way for others to know Jesus. How so? If you think about yourself as a witness, your living out your faith out loud is one of the best witnesses for Christ. If you want to think about an actual courtroom, some of you may have never been in a court. Think about law and order. And hear the theme song in my head right now. Think about law and order. When you see someone on the stand and they are a strong witness, and I mean their testimony is direct, you've got evidence all across the room and they're pointing at certain things, they're putting timelines together. The juror looks at this person and says, wow, whoever they're representing, whoever they're witnessing for, I have more faith and belief in their, in their story. Their testimony, because this witness has swayed me. That's what witnesses do. 
They sway the minds of those that watch. In this day and age, we live in a very, very visual society. People can talk a good game all day long, especially when it comes to Christianity. Unfortunately, that's something that many of us get accused of. You Christians just like to talk. You don't want to get in the game. What you show people goes so much further than what you can say to people. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. What I love about this scripture and what I fear about this scripture is that somewhere somebody has given, is giving, or will give a testimony in church. They will give their lives to Christ over something that you've done, over watching you live out your faith on a day-to-day basis. And here's the trick. You'll never know it. You'll never know. People watch you. They're affected by you. But you don't have the benefit of always knowing to what extent. Now, invert that entire concept. I planted Apollo's water. God kept making it grow. What happens when this sister over here plants something by her actions and peppers it a little bit with her words? What happens when this brother over here waters that same seed that she planted by her actions? He waters that same seed by his actions. Then you get to my station, and I don't show you a thing. Matter of fact, I may give you the opposite. I may give you a bunch of talk about how God is so good. God is good all the time. All the catchphrases. (laughs) But that's all I give you. You don't see it in my life. You don't see it in a transformative way through my life. And perhaps this person is discouraged. Can you see the angels on high? They know that this person is right to the edge. And there you are, and the angels are yelling, show them. Show this person what faith looks like. Show this person what love looks like. They're right on the edge. They're ready to cross over, and you give them nothing. Nothing. And maybe they back away from the edge a little bit. You had an opportunity to put your faith on display and give God an opportunity to make it grow, but you miss it. It's a scary thought. Living out your faith. It gives God an opportunity to work. He's going to take the opportunity with or without you. But boy, wouldn't you rather be a, a help of in, in this situation? The fourth thing that faith in action does, it provides light and hope in a dark and hopeless world. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 talks about us being the light of the world. Christians, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In that same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see. Get how they worded that. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. See how that works? See good works. Who gets the glory? Not here. That means something. Arguably, we live in the darkest days in human history. Right now, although we are technologically advanced, boy, the world is just a dark place. And if you think about literal darkness, our natural inclination is to be attracted to light when we are faced with darkness. Take that a step further. When there is continual light in a darkened situation, people want to inspect the light source. So now we want to move beyond just the light, if you will. The scripture 
In verse 15 of our key package, key passage, I'm sorry, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? It challenges us again. In other words, to see your brother or sister in need and not address it is a dead form of faith. Back to the Servere Project, which is a wonderful and glaring example of this. The school project, I mean, I was in Philadelphia with the superintendent, Jay Battles. I was in Harrisburg at the state capitol with Jay Battles. And I watched the frustration and as a parent and as a citizen and as a Christian, it made me feel like I had the straight jacket on in so many ways. Like, wow, this thing, you talk about red tape. But the government is something else. We couldn't move that thing through to save our lives, it felt like. And you get on the bus or in the van, whichever, and you shake your head and say, this feels like such a hopeless situation. And that's the way it struck everybody in the city. This just feels hopeless. Along comes Servery for the Lincoln Project. And all of a sudden, somebody said, let's do something. Instead of whining and crying about it at the water cooler every day, let's do something about it. If you think about Central Tech this year, the stakes are higher, right? School consolidation, the fire, the angst of putting children from the east side and west side under the same roof because if you haven't been following the news, these young people are killing one another over territory. It's a lot at stake here. We are being set up. When I saw the fire, I said, well, we are being set up for a God moment like no other right now. I have got to be a part of this. But it's times like this that faith in action is that very light in this darkened situation. And our hope is that if we are on our mark with this, that it will inspire people to want to inspect the light source, the reason why we are doing what we're doing. When you analyze the scriptures, you will see that God uses people to accomplish his will. And all of us, all of us in this instance in particular, can be, part, can be a part of God living out his will through us. Something very important. So you want to follow Christ. Put your faith in action by taking up your cross and joining others on the battlefield. If your love has cooled off or become stagnant, like Stephen Covey said, love harder, love deeper, love more intentionally. Take ownership of it. This concept of this private faith, that we keep to ourselves. Christ gave me something, and I appreciate it, but it's real personal. I don't necessarily want to talk to you about it. I don't necessarily want to show it to you by my actions. It's very personal. I want you to challenge yourself. If that's you, where did that come from? Because it's not the Christ that gave his life for us. It was the complete opposite. Everything he brought to this earthly realm about his father, he put on display through his actions, through his words, and through the way he conducted himself up until death. Let us be the same type of Christians with our faith. Check your spiritual pulse. Be the light of the world. That light will help others find Christ in a dark and lonely world. Let us pray. Father God, God, we come before your, home, your, your humble and gracious throne right now, and we are just so grateful and thankful that you have given us this gift in your son, Christ Jesus. 
We are so grateful that you have taken an interest in all of us individually, not just as a group of people, but that that individual relationship through your son has been offered to us, God. We are so grateful for that. We never want to squander that opportunity. We never want to squander that act of love that you gave us, oh God. We never want to forget what it felt like to not have the love of Christ, to not have that mediator, to not have that sacrifice. God, we pray that you give us the strength and the wisdom and and the spirit of, of grace that we can extend that to others as it's been so lovingly extended to us. That we can act on our faith, that we can act on our love, that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in every way, shape, or form, and not just profess that in word, but to physically go out and be just that, not so we can get the glory, O Lord, but so that you and you alone can get the glory. We thank you for our fellowship as brothers and sisters. We thank you for Surveyry, and not just Surveyry, but for the 50-plus churches, our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that have fought side by side with us so that we can collectively be that light of the world. May we take the time and put forth the effort to join in and show people what this love looks like in real time. We love you more than we can possibly express. Let us never forget how much we need you. Let us never forget how much you don't need us and how much this is all such a privilege, a privilege to be able to witness for you, to be able to talk about you, and to be able to serve others in imitation of your son, Christ Jesus. We ask forgiveness when we fall short, and we ask all of this in the name of your son's great and holy name. Amen.